0: Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature.
1: If there was a black farmer who was persistent enough, they finally sent him the money, but made sure they would send it after the farming season too late to plant. So black farmers were drying up and disappearing, and that is why we filed this lawsuit. It's all alive. It's all connected. It's all intelligent. It's
2: all relatives.
0: Scientists tell us that concern with the environment will no longer be one of many single issues in the next century. It will move to the center of the stage. It will become the context of everything, of our lives, our businesses, our politics. We are, in fact, moving from the information age to the age of biology. In this series, the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. We salute the Bioneers, the biological pioneers who are working with nature to heal nature, reducing the human footprint, honoring native wisdom, and restoring the earth by changing the world. Family and traditional farmers have been leaving the land, because they can't make a living farming but this attrition has been even more severe in the african-american community black farmers have been leaving the land at three and a half times the rate of other farmers around 1920 there were a million black farmers in the united states today there are about 18,000 left and fewer than 175 of them are under the age of 60. so we face the extinction of an entire incredibly rich and vital rural culture located mostly in the Southeastern United States. It turns out that this loss of black farmers is less due to farming practices than it is to generations of institutional racism. In this program, we hear from a hero who has come to the aid of the black farming community. Join us for the next half hour for Honoring the Heritage of Black Farmers on the Land with J.L. Chestnut. My name is Michael Toms, I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. J.L. Chestnut, the first and only African-American lawyer in Selma, Alabama in 1958, was very active in the civil rights movement. As a partner in Chestnut, Sanders, Sanders, Petaway and Campbell, he is now widely recognized as one of the leading civil rights attorneys in the United States. Most recently, he has been the leading legal figure in the successful historic litigation against the USDA on behalf of black farmers. He spoke before a Bioneers conference audience. Racism
1: has a stranglehold on the throat of this democracy. This democracy has many problems, but racism has a stranglehold on the throat of this democracy. And that has been the case since 1619, when the first slave ship docked at the shores of what is now the Commonwealth of Virginia. And it is such an awful thing that America cannot even face it. There is great denial in this land. When one speaks of racism, one speaks of how far we have come without saying that we have to go just as far. And that this second journey is even more difficult than the first trip if one mentions that we have a long way to go it comes almost as an afterthought without exposition without explanation we just don't want to face the ugly truth because racism is an ugly reality i mentioned last night what it was like when i went back to my hometown Selma, Alabama in 1958 to become the first black lawyer there. I didn't tell you last night that two months ago, as Selma was in the process, it is now 65% black, electing the first black mayor ever I didn't tell you that in the process of that campaign and that election two months ago, a Lincoln town car parked in front of my office in the dead of night was firebombed to ashes. Now this is not 35 years ago, this was two months ago. I didn't tell you last night that over the last 40 years my life has been threatened more times than a Hollywood cowboy. they have threatened to blow up my home, my mother's home and even my church. And why? Because racism has a stranglehold on the throat of this democracy. I was sitting in my office in farmer after farmer would come in to tell me about he was nearly losing his land, his small farm. Oftentimes it had been in his family since the end of the Civil War. And that he was losing this land primarily because of the government. and. I've been fighting the government so long that I can hardly remember when it was a time that I did not have at least five lawsuits pending against the various entities of the federal government, which is like an octopus. And we, we began to take a look at the situation of these poor farmers And I expected to find an ugly story. My life is about dealing with ugly stories. That's why I went back home. But I didn't expect to find what was there in relationship to these poor little black farmers and perpetrated on them by their government. They were indirectly being run off the land by people who were supposed to protect them. And then I I learned that the, that the United States Department of Agriculture was huge even by government standards. That here was a monstrosity that half the time didn't know whether it was going or coming and that it had an active presence in every county in the United States and that it expended billions and billions of dollars to farmers and that it was granting that money, lending that money in every one of these counties and in the possessions of the United States through what it called local committees. And these local committees were always the richest, most well-connected white farmers in the county. And they decided who got what when, and black farmers didn't. You. A black farm, in some places, believe it or not, black farmers could only go on Wednesday. And they were being told, we don't have any money, we're out of money. Or if there was a black farmer who was persistent enough, they finally sent him the money, but made sure they would send it after the farming season, too late to plant. And what you did last year affects whether you get money this year. So black farmers were drying up and disappearing. And that is why we filed this lawsuit. And the justice department came forward in the courtroom in Washington and announced that it was representing USDA. Now, if that is not a mess, I have, I don't know what is. One huge bureaucracy representing another huge bureaucracy and all running from the truth. And the court said, well, Mr. Chestnut, are you suing on behalf of all of the black farmers in the United States? And I said, Joanna, you, you have it right. <laughs> and he said, well, well, how much money are you really talking about? And this, was, this is a liberal judge appointed by Bill Clinton. So you can imagine what the situation, well, never mind. (laughs) And I said, Johanna, we're talking about $2 billion. And the government laughed. And the court was astonished. Had I been representing white farmers, two billion would have been sensible and reasonable. But you don't talk about billions of dollars and black folk in Washington, there's a disconnect there, a historic disconnect. And I said, Joanna, I don't see why everybody is so upset. In Washington, you pay two billion for one B-1 bomber. And the Justice Department notified the president of the United States that he didn't have anything to worry about, the lawsuit would be dismissed. The lawsuit was not dismissed. As I speak to you, 8,000 farmers have been paid 400 million dollars. For those few farmers who had documentation, they didn't have to go into track A and accept the $50,000. They could have a mini-trial in Washington and whatever they could prove they lost, they would be entitled to it, which means that some farmers went in on food stamps and came out millionaires. It is the largest class action in the history of this country. And now we have filed the same kind of action on behalf of Native Americans.
0: When we return, more from J.L. Chestnut, honoring the heritage of black farmers on the land. My name is Michael Toms. You are listening to The Pioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature.
2: And I know God is only proud way. And I know God. Proud way. I had a toll with my master today, and I know God is only proud way. And I know God is only
0: once again, JL Chestnut.
1: After we get through with the Native American lawsuit, we are going to file a suit against the government asking for reparations. And for an apology for federal complicity in 350 years of slavery We want compensation for 350 years of slavery and another 100 years of segregation and racial discrimination. We are not asking that it be paid to any particular individual, but we want it to be paid for an example where it would help these underfunded historic black colleges. or that it will go into the inner city with some real reforms. And we intend to win. Racism has a stranglehold on the throat of this democracy. And we have to be willing to stand up and fight in order to rid this cancerous stranglehold from around what I think is the greatest experiment in democracy in the history of the human race. We cannot take it for granted. Our enemies are many, well healed. But I can remember 35 years ago, so I am not worried about the future. I've been there, done that, and I know we can do it again. I know what happens When people like you join with other people of goodwill, I'm not worried about whether we're going to win. I've been there, children, and I know. (laughs) The dedication that I have seen here in the last two days warms my old heart. I leave here reinvigorated. You have done wonders for me. I'm so glad to know you. I told a group last night about a time in a little church in Marion, Alabama, more than 35 years ago. Cold, raining, and my friend Martin Luther King was there delivering a message, a sermon. We had about 300 people in the church and the FBI, the Fumbling Bureau of Investigation, (laughs) came to to tell us we had to vacate the building because they had a telephone call that somebody had planted a bomb in or near the church. And we didn't know what to do. You couldn't trust the FBI. If somebody put a bomb, more likely they would be the culprits. (laughs) But we couldn't risk 300 women and children martin was as frightened as i've ever seen him he was almost white eyed great balls of sweat dripping down his cheek we couldn't know whether this was some ruse just to get him on the outside so somebody could take a shot at him so so what do we do it was decided that we would surround Martin with a group of men who would go out a side door while the rest of us went out the front door all at the same time. And it worked. And we saw white faces across the way. And we saw rifles. But they never got a shot off. They never saw Martin. The very next night, in that little church, in that pulpit, was Martin completing his message, his sermon. That's dedication. He had learned to control and manage his fear better than anybody I've ever known. He was also the most morbid man I've ever met. You could not talk to Martin five minutes and he didn't bring up the subject of death, his and everybody else's. He knew his days were numbered. If he told me once, he told me a hundred times. They're going to keep coming back until not one of us is left standing. And he was almost correct. But that didn't stop him It didn't stop me. It didn't stop the thousands who kept going forward. That's why I'm not worried about what's going to happen in the future. We, as they say, together have come a long, long way. And we face a long, long journey before us. But we will make it, children, because when good people decide to get up, when good people decide to stand up, when good people decide to look up, When good people decide to reach out, when good people decide to stay up, we can make mountains move. Trees tremble. You're a great group, God bless you.
0: J.L. Chestnut Many in the environmental movement speak about the importance of having a sense of place, of connection to the land, and to the community. J.L. Chestnut is a man who, despite intense hostility and very, very real jeopardy, has stood his ground in one place for nearly all of his life, fighting for justice and for community-based solutions. Too often, we're daunted about the fate of the planet and the power of our opponents. J.L. Chestnut is someone who offers us living proof that courage and persistence can make magic. That things can change a lot in just one lifetime, and that your opponents may seem tough, but the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You know when
2: Saul went down to the master to persecute the children of God, you know a light shined from heaven and called him by his name. And that put outside he made a change and started serving in my master's name. And I know God is only... Away.
0: Honoring the heritage of black farmers on the land. To find out more about the work and writings of J.L. Chestnut and all of the participants in this series, the annual Bioneers Conference, and membership information, call the Collective Heritage Institute toll-free at 1-877-BIONEER. That's one 877 246 6337, or visit the Bioneers website by directing your browser to www.bioneers.org. Portions of the script for this program were drawn from the work of Kenny Ausabell. Special thanks to Ron Sunsinger at Sunsinger Sound, Sarah Bauman, and to Conference Recording Services' Richard Page and Michael Brandt for Conference Recordings. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers radio series are those of the commentators and not necessarily those of the funders, the Collective Heritage Institute or New Dimensions Radio. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, is a production of New Dimensions Radio, distribution by the New Dimensions Broadcasting Network. Executive Producer, Michael Toms. Producer, Neil Harvey. Managing Producer, Justine Willis-Toms. Associate Producers, Catherine Vibert, Jeff Westman, and Rose Holland. Media Relations and Distribution, Giovanna Perine and Christina Fleming. Assistant to Executive Producer Beck Kagiyama. Financial Administrator Deborah Pollock. Listener Services Tom Greenaway. Website Design and Administration Joni Springer. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ryko Disc label. My name is Michael Toms. On behalf of everyone at the New Dimensions Broadcasting Network, I'm wishing you well. This is program number 2882.